Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Push to Talk. We have a couple special guests this week. We have the uh, the general crew here. Uh, we've got Caleb and uh, Emma Cloud. Hey guys. What up? <laughs> we are, uh, we're missing RJ. RJ has the death flu apparently and uh, is not able to join us for a second week in a row. So we miss him. Hope he uh, feels better soon. Uh, we are gonna. We also have some special guests. We have a. Uh, we have Arendis here. Say hey, Arendis. Hello, McLeod. What the hell is on your head? <laughs> I I can't explain it. To be completely honest, uh, I, I'll take the blame for this because he he wore it when we were testing some video, and I said you need to wear that for the show. So it, for it, some it reason, it literally looks like it, a dirty mop. It it is. We also uh, are joined by That's the weird. ever hilarious Moomin. Say hey, Moomin. Hey, Moomin. He is apparently here for comic relief. I didn't know that, but uh, <laughs> well, you know, don't get your hopes up, as I mentioned earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> we are also joined by uh, two authors um, of a, a very interesting paper um, that is out there, um, and that is uh, that is titled. And we'll link it in the uh, we'll link it in the chat. It is titled "Barbarians at the Imperium Gates: Organizational Culture and Change in Eve Online." And, it, and uh, Caleb brought this up to us earlier in the week, and uh, I took a read on it. And man, it, it is a really interesting um, look at some of the stuff within virtual worlds. So it's pretty cool. So I'll introduce them. Doctor Nick is uh, is one of the authors. Say hey, Doctor Nick. Hello, everyone. And we've got Lord Scar. Greetings. They said this wasn't a very serious paper, so uh, we're going to treat it with extreme seriousness, of course. Yeah, damn right. And thank you for linking that, Caleb, in the chat. And hello to everybody out there in the chat. Saw a couple people as we were uh, ramping up the show that said uh, said hello. So how you doing, guys? Um, as always, if you enjoy the show, shoot us a follow, uh, you know, or anything else. Subscriptions to uh, INN to support all the streamers here would be great. All right, who wants to start? Caleb, why don't I let you start with uh, with talking about this uh, this paper um, because you brought it to our attention. Well, it was uh, linked to me by uh, the missus. Uh, so I read through it and uh, I found it uh, extremely interesting. And uh, the whole project that uh, uh, the journal comes out of is uh, really cool. Uh, I haven't been able to catch up on all the back issues, but apparently it goes all the way back to, correct me if, uh, I'm wrong, uh, Nick. Uh, 2008 is when you guys started uh, doing the journal, right? So we've, I mean, we've written a piece in a, a pieces in a number of different places, but we started. We've been working um, on and around Eve for the last several years, probably Oscar longer than me, because Oscar did his PhD focused around it. Yeah, I started roughly in 2006, just writing about Eve. But if you mean the journal specifically, um, this was a special editorial about Eve. Um, it's sponsored by, uh, or not sponsored, but led by Marcus Carter and Kenny Bergstrom, who do a lot of work on Eve as well. And they got a bunch of us to kind of work on this particular issue. So, so how did you decide to to write this paper? What was kind of the uh the reason what you wanted to show because I know a lot of the audience hasn't read it at all so maybe a little brief summary would be great so we having 
talk to each other at conferences and so on. And we've done, we've done a bit of co-writing together um, in another piece, which was about um, the idea that, you know, the Eve is real um, phrase. And Marcus and Kelly, who we've mentioned, uh, have also written various pieces around Eve. And, and, you know, we've been talking together about a number of things. And Oscar and I realized that we had a kind of crossover of interest. Oscar's well, I mean, as you'll tell you, I don't know. He's very interested in kind of the organizational cultural side of things. I'm a historian by background, and I'm really interested in the way in which Eve shows us interesting things about history. And that kind of came together in quite a good way um, to think about how these, how different organizations in Eve think about their past and for Oscar, how they change um, and how those two things work together. So I'll just give a really quick kind of intro for the paper just to make sure that people know what we're talking about. It's a paper that looks at specifically the name change of um, the Clusterfuck Alliance to the Imperium and then kind of the social backlash that might, you could argue had occurred because of the name change. And I compared that to uh, the time when Test uh, entered the Honey Badger Alliance and the cultural backlash within the organization that kind of uh, ended up causing the death of Test temporarily anyway uh, as they went to small PvP until they finally came back. I think uh, a question that I have for the, the, the paper is, do you still stand by the, the argument you make? And uh, do you still think that, uh, do you think it, it was an actual uh, positive choice to get away from, from that naming convention? And then do you have an explanation for why you kind of ended it uh, exactly where you did because it does slightly read as a uh, journal that lacks uh, the final chapter or the, the last act. Uh, so that last comment is fair. Um, we basically uh, finished the paper exactly where we were as far as chron chronological history. Um, I do realize that there were some changes in EVE that happened after this. But the moment that we actually uh, submitted the paper for publication, and you have to realize publications take about nine months or so, so that's why we're a little behind. But we submitted the paper uh, just about the, the time when Imperium uh, basically shut down and lost most of its um, outside territories. And I think that, I mean, when we wrote it originally, because we originally wrote it as a conference paper, and the first version of the paper ended um, just at the point when the Kickstarter had been unsuccessful, but the general process of changing to the Imperium seemed to have been really successful. Um, so, you know, even our views have changed between that one paper and then the, the, the presentation in the journal. And as you say, then they continue to change as events unfold. But to your first question, insofar as do we stand by it, um, personally, I still do. I'm talking about um, the strength of organizational controllers for groups in EVE Online. And I think it's really true, um, regardless of what organization you're going to look at. You know, the culture is basically what defines um, operational standards for a group. Yeah. So when you actually talk about culture, though, um, in what kind of terms are you actually uh, describing or de defining a culture in its own right? Because obviously, it's like you know, different people might actually kind of uh, interpret that phrase slightly differently. So, how would you guys define it in this particular context? Do you want to take this one, Nick? 
Sure, I can do. I mean, generally speaking, when, when we're thinking about culture here, we're, we're thinking about a set of common practices, a set of commonly understood standards and ways of being and behaving. Um, so if you think about organizational culture in these terms within EVE, you'll think about, I mean, the examples that OSC used in terms of tests with things like fleet porn and things like that. So just practices that take place within those organizations and groups that are part of the norms for that group um, and you might consider to be distinctive in some ways of that group as well. Okay, so uh, it's very much those um, uh, kind of, you know, to kind of like use an analogy, I guess, realistically, is uh, if you were to taste something like, you know, uh, uh, football fans, you know, that kind of like tribalism, the colours that they wear, the chance that they actually use, that type of uh, uh, stuff would define a culture in the same context for like uh, EVE Online corporations, alliances. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, th I think we think about those things in the same kinds of way. I mean, academically, we certainly would. Um, and, you know, the, the ways in which people subscribe to and engage with those ideas are all part of what build up their cultural identities. Okay, so um, with the um, the abstract of the actual paper, um, when you kind of like start off, um, what was the criteria for actually selecting the organisations that you did? Was it ones that you'd uh, felt had had some sort of like a cultural change within them? Or, you know, what were the mechanisms for actually talking about, uh, you spoke about the Imperium um, test and also Brave as well. So, you know, what was the, the reasoning behind that? Uh, I might let Nick take the question about the Imperium, but as far as test and brave, um, it was a more of a methodological reason, uh, let's say a practical reason. And that is, um, I did my research, and while I was doing my research, I was in test at the time when it joined with brave to form the Honey Badger uh, Coalition. So you can imagine that uh, that's basically you know a large set of data, a lot of valuable cultural discussions, and um, I managed to use them for this paper as well. Right, so because of your kind of, you know, your actual experience with those particular organisations, they were obviously a good choice for you to go for um, because you had some inside knowledge of them. So with regards to the selection of the Imperium then, Nick, what made you kind of like go for them? Well, the thing that really interests me about Eve, as I say, I'm a historian and the historical activity that goes on around Eve, things like True Stories, for example, um, and, you know, Andrew Groen's book have, have been the things that have really attracted me to the game community. And the, so the, the, the sort of way in for me on this was that Fountain War book and the Kickstarter around that. And because my background is in, actually in medieval history, I was immediately struck by the way in which it resembled the kinds of historical writing projects that went on in the medieval period as rulers sought to consolidate their power base. Okay, so, you know, uh, it almost sounds as if you're alluding to practices uh, that are available in something like The Prince, you know, where obviously if you have a change of uh, power um, within a particular organisation or region is where they will actually uh, take certain actions in order to um, reaffirm or affirm their like power base. Is that kind of like true? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're completely right. Um, I mean, and the prince obviously comes out of a a more developed um, 
economic and political context than the, the historical writing that I was thinking about, just because I was thinking about, you know, a, a, a period probably about five, six hundred years before the prints was written. But it yeah. is the same kind of processes and it, it comes from the same place, which is how do we create a structure that underpins what we're trying to do? How do we make this make sense? And if we're making a change, um, how do we argue that that change isn't really the big change it might feel like? There's some, some, something of the always the sameness about it. Okay, so it also in that abstract, when you actually open up, um, you seem to infer that um, this was about the uh, a kind of very rudimentary um, politi uh, like structure. So the political structure that would actually be like created for people to actually um, you know group together to band together for whatever kind of like purpose. Um, do you feel that that could be construed as a bit of a misnomer, given the fact that everyone that actually participates in EVE is generally from, um, you know, uh, a, a very kind of mature political system, realistically, in the real world? So why wouldn't they necessarily emulate that um, rather than actually go back to, you know, something that might be considered a more um, primitive political system? Do you want to come in, Oscar, or shall I take Yeah, I'm, I might take this one. Um, so the difference here would be uh, between um, operationalizing a particular uh, perspective and then um, uh, presenting a specific culture. So if you think about uh, the Imperium specifically, how the uh, visuals and the language about the organization uh, changed abruptly with the name, right? It's not a change necessarily in the political system, although that did change um, afterwards, but I would say that changed because of the economics of the game rather than anything else. But, uh, you know, the imagery changed from being very cartoony to being very formal. Uh, the discussions, the language used became um, Roman specifically. Um, and, you know, this is purposeful incorporation of a particular stance uh, in my view, anyway. Um, and yeah, we could incorporate, you know, capitalist ideals. We could incorporate these other ideals as well, but they weren't necessarily relevant to the discussions that people were having in game. Okay, I think well, other... sorry, please go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the, the, the other part of that picture is that um, in, in the contemporary world, we don't see a lot of new state formation. We don't see a lot of um, territorialist empire building in a way that we might have done. I mean, we saw a lot of that in the medieval period, um, but actually con in, in, in contemporary society, there isn't that many, situ well, there aren't that many situations where somebody goes and conquers an area of space. Um, whereas of course in EVE, that happens a lot. And so um, we can look at models where borders and policies are a bit more fluid. And I think that's why um, reaching back to those sort of earlier models is helpful here. Yeah, uh, sorry, it's like Arendus is like apparently I'm talking too much. Well, um, so over to you, Arendus, <laughs> motherfucker. Part of, part of what's going on, uh, and thank you for in injecting that, that bit of profanity there, Moom, in the chat says we're being serious, um, is that, uh, you know, as we'd established, you guys can't see the chat, so we need to relay stuff to you. And a question had come up in the Twitch chat. Uh, Sheriff asked, the paper seems to focus a lot on external perception of the Imperium. How visible were internal sentiments within the Imperium to you? 
most of what we did around the Imperium, certainly from my view, was around um, the material that was being posted on places like TMC, um, also on EN24, looking at Reddit commentary. Um, we didn't directly interview Imperium players. Um, that wasn't the way we approached this. Um, we approached it in a much more kind of, I suppose, documentary fashion um, in terms of looking at the looked, looking at in inverted commas published documents. Um, so, I, but I think there was there was a sense of um, you know certainly we were getting the stronger voices uh, in the Imperium coming through. So we saw stuff by Sean Kamitoto, for example. Is that right? Kumitomo. Um, and actually, yeah. Cyan, sorry, my bad. Um, and um, and other people writing for TMC. Um, so straight away there, we were getting some voices which were, were, were bringing out um, an Imperium view. Uh, I think Oscar had something to add as well. Yeah, I was I mean, just going I... to, sorry, I'm just going to drop in one more thing. And that's, yeah. um, as far as internal voices, um, I spent a long time uh, recording and kind of uh, analyzing the different speeches by leaders um, in both test and uh, you know, the states of the Gunion and all these kind of th things. So I had a lot of um, the official stances for the leaders, um, but a little less access to the inner Goon forums. So you can take that for whether I'm hearing the inside voice or not. So you guys basically got a lot of our outward facing presentation. Mm. Um, and I, think, I, mean, I, I, th I think that informs a lot of what's going on in the piece uh, because there's there, there, there are very different narratives that were going on through all of this internally and externally. Uh, internally, yeah. one of the things to keep in mind is that the biggest thing we never do is take ourselves seriously, including I, about whether or not we're taking ourselves seriously. <laughs> I did get the distinct impression when I was reading the article that, yeah, it was. It did seem very much like you were uh, uh, taking the very much more public. Uh, facing kind of comments and um, direction of conversation, uh, you know, from the side of Imperium. Um, but I would like to—I would say that, like, as much as um, Sion is, you know, a very learned person and extremely good when it comes to, uh, you know cross-alliance and cross-coalition kind of diplomacy, like one-on-one -on -one sort of thing, and that kind of thing. Every time I every time I read, like, one of Science INN posts, I always, it was so cringy for me. I don't know why. It always made me feel like, it always made me feel like, oh, this is, like, the worst of the worst there's, of, there's a reason like, that, trying to trigger people. It, it felt like it was, it felt like every post that he made was a trigger post to try and trigger people more. It, it was. <laughs> yeah, like, like legit. Sion is one of those guys who likes to start fires. That's why he's a diplomat. He gets to start fires and then piss on. Them. Or was a diplomat because he's not doing that anymore. Yeah, I mean he was very, very good at you know pulling the strings behind the scenes kind of thing. But I don't know <laughs> when it comes to actually getting the the true measure of how Imperium kind of felt at the time, like looking at. Um, uh, Scion's post on INN was probably not the best way of no, knowing exactly no, how he felt. No. And, and one of the other things to keep in mind, and this is something that Lemba had pointed out internally when we started assembling the idea for it, uh, the Viceroy program. Both Scion's posts and the Viceroy program were actually intended 
to see how far we could push everybody and how far we could piss everybody off. They just happened to succeed far more than we anticipated. (laughs) (laughs) That's saying something. So I just wanted to give a quick comment. I mean, your point is is very valid. And, um, you know, that's just a limit of uh, our levels of access, right? I mean, uh, there's only Mm. so much I can see of internal communications, but I did want to let the readers of the paper know what internal communications can do in culture, which is why test is even in the paper, right? If you think about it, if I could Mm -hmm. have, um, I would have been able to just do the whole paper through the Imperium and through goons. Um, But I wanted to let people know that there was an internal discussion, a a different set of um, ways of operating and that the reader hopefully will be able to be able to extrapolate that there is something more complicated than just the outgoing messages, but the outgoing messages are very important as well. And that's yes, they are. Yeah, one of the things that I found, you know, intriguing about the papers, I you could tell that you didn't have a lot of insight inside the Imperium. And what what's interesting to me is to see how that's perceived from the outside, right? I mean that's that's what was fascinating to me. Um, one of the other things, actually, I kind of wanted to ask was, um, at that particular point, was it was Andrew Groen's book something that you could, uh, you know, reference back for, um, you know, for context of various different things in here? Because they, they, I did kind of feel like, it, to some degree, in the article, that like um, understanding the Imperium, also you ha- you kind of have to understand the roots of the CFC and the roots of where goons came from in terms of um, fashioning a narrative because um, goons really fashion the narrative of um, being belittled by the largest group in EVE and turning that around and going well if you're going to brandish us as the bad guy then we will play the bad guy to the fullest extent that we can I mean yeah I've got um, Andrew Groen's book on my desk next to me here and okay. that that was you know i mean that that has always been part of the i suppose the, the historical backdrop for me i mean i mm-hmm. i suppose the, the comment i just make about the lack of internal access is that certainly again kind of as a medievalist most most of what you're doing is piecing a history together from the the traces people have left behind you know everyone's been dead for a thousand years you can't talk to them and so mm-hmm. i suppose i approached it in a similar kind of way but you're right you end up with a quite a limited perspective but I don't think necessarily that that makes the conclusions that we took away less valid because I think the things that we pointed to, whether or not they were about annoying other people or whether they were kind of intended in seriousness, do resemble those historical processes. And I think that kind of says something interesting and important just about the way people think about the way they do things and the way that the things that we have done as, as a species, in effect, um, kind of roll around and come around again. Just uh, out of curiosity, will you guys uh, be considering writing a follow-up? Because as I pointed out earlier, uh, it did feel a lot like you finished it uh, before the last uh, act was actually out, right? So so it's historically at a point in time where all of these things that you write is fundamentally true. It's just that the whole process and the conclusion seems to be missing, right? Because with the things that Arinda says about not taking uh, themselves seriously in Coons and the whole cultural revolution and the changes that were being pushed out there, you only seem to uh, cover the, the the fallout or the flag um, where the point that they're at now is kind of what we would want in an art, uh, in, a, in a journal, right? 
so I can't say anything for Nick. Um, I think we do wish to continue writing um, for different things, but one problem that I kind of have to point out is we have to write academic papers, which means we have to talk about something greater than just the individual case. And it would be hard to be able to give the end of this story at this point without being able to bring in something very, very new as far as our understandings of how cultures are, are spread and our understanding of how territory is controlled, for instance. Um, so we're going to try. And who knows, maybe we'll write an actual news article. That would be fast. But as far as a paper, I, I'd let Nick answer that one now. I mean, we, we've, we've talked already that we want to do at least one more piece anyway, just thinking about, um, you, you know, you mentioned, um, Moomin mentioned um, more contemporary forms of, of political approach. And we, we thought about looking at something which brought together ideas around feudalism, which is really what we kind of are arguing is going on here with um, the idea, you know, that Eve is supposed to be this space of unfettered capitalism. And how do we reconcile those kind of ideas when they're kind of fundamentally separated historically? Um, but um, whether or not that would answer the or end the story in in the way that would be ideal, I don't know. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the things that historians tend to say is they like to get critical distance before they write about anything. But normally that means that, you know, you're talking 50 years down the line. Um, and we probably don't want to leave it that long because I think the other thing is anyway, things in Eve change, Eve moves much more quickly than contemporary society does in terms of the way in which uh, events impact um, on decisions that get made in Eve and so on. So, I, you know, I, I don't think we need to leave it um, quite so long. Um, but Oscar's ultimately right. Um, we would need to find a way in that would allow us to continue to develop this discussion. But I think Eve will give us that anyway, just in the way in which it continues to change and, and move on. I mean, you know, the introduction of Citadels, for example, has changed um, a bunch of stuff about the way people are playing the game. And there's a lot of kind of concern about that. And that could, you know, that, change could provide the frame to do a new piece for example so when exactly did you finish this kind of piece um what was the kind of like date and where were say for instance like the imperium at that particular point like you said wasn't it like wasn't it like right at the end where everyone was basically bunched up in so had we made the move down to delve or not by then i think you were just at the point where you were going to and you hadn't quite okay so uh, the other bit that kind of i found quite interesting from a history perspective as well was even just like the names that you actually use for the uh the casino war as we like to call it. Um, <laughs> the reason being is when we uh, actually kind of like started off on this particular one, um, we were referring to it as the War of Soblis Aggression, um, whereas CCP very kind of like uh, inspiringly called it the Easter War because they have a serious lack of imagination when it comes to these things. Um, Meanwhile, obviously, those against us were calling it World War B, which is a great name. I will kind of like, you know, must kind of like stress that. But the one that we actually settled on in the end was um, the one coined by uh, Noisy Gamer, which was the Casino War, because that 
described best the mechanism for how this war has come about and equally uh, some of the, the driving force behind it all as well. So why did you settle on the names that you did and how come you actually um, you know, missed those other ones? All right, I guess I'll have to take this one. Um, so a lot of it, uh, first of all, the Casino War wasn't a name that was tossed around when we were uh, developing the research and talking about this particular paper. Um, I did hear the term, the War of Southwest Aggression. However, um, since we're trying to write for a non-EVE audience, um, the war of Savless aggression would require us to actually explain the concepts of uh, Sav and why this wouldn't be Sav, even though territory was being lost, um, which would have made it a lot more complicated for me. And World War B is very catchy. So I right, guess you so could say it's a bit of a lazy thing on my part. If we're honest about it, because at no point, you know, World War B, what, bees fighting each other? That's madness, sir. <laughs> Yeah, well, so a lot of it is kind of practical purposes as far as that's concerned. I mean, to be completely honest, like, yeah, fair enough. We, you know, the Imperium did have a different name for the war um, at the time. It was a very accurate name for the war, but it wasn't in any way emotive, you know, in the same way that World War B was. Like, the Casino War is a little bit better in terms of, like, a, you know, well-rounded thing. And the fact that it actually came from someone who wasn't actually Imperium was pretty good. You know, the fact, you know, a, a very good kind of... You know, neutral starting starting point for the actual you know name of the conflict. Yeah, um, they, they but it was it's just one of those things. Yeah, true. But you know, but then again, you know, when you're coming from um, a kind of uh, direction that most people who may not actually know too much about Eve, um, the term World War B probably would be the more utilized. Gives you, yeah, it gives you the impression of this is a grand conflict. Mm. Yeah, is this where I interject? World war in a space game across solar systems makes no <laughs> sense. Okay, well, you know, I, I mean, said what, it. What, what would what were we going to call it? Mittens versus Lady Scarlet, round sixty-three. I mean, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was the universe versus Goonswarm or the Imperium. Well, that was that was part of the narrative going on, is they wanted to make it all about us, but we're the, they wanted to make it all about you know everybody was attacking Goonswarm, but Goonswarm was the ones that were really in a way least hurt by it. We lost space. Space is nothing. Space is just where you're doing your stuff. You can go and do your stuff wherever. Yeah, but I think the general perception in the game from general players is when you lose your space it hurts right and... well sure but that's because that's because of how people typically lose their space when people typically lose their space by doing this you know there's there's a big war there's all these fights and the line members lose all their stuff and that really wasn't what happened here because we kind of saw it coming and had people get their stuff out if they could and you know as this is actually one of the one of the things that caught my eye in the article. Um, you, you, at one point, you guys referenced something where uh, a line member in one of the Imperium alliances is talking about how the leadership 
is doing all this and they've got buffers, but the line members don't. Um, I don't know which alliance that person was part of. It, it's not listed in the article, and that may easily be because by the time you guys got around to writing, it was impossible to track it down. I'm not I'm not slamming anybody on that, but I, I know at least within goons, generally speaking, um, our line members didn't really have any sort of economic bleed at all. The ship replacement program paid for their losses. It, I mean, the alliance itself was kind of running on fumes economically by the time we finished the fight. But, you know, the, the entire idea and why we just ceded the space without fighting for it was that there was no way to win this war and we weren't going to throw our members' stuff away uselessly. Yeah, as, as mostly a line member at that time, and actually, you know, our, our organization was part of the Imperium CFC. I wasn't Goonsworn proper. Um, it was very clear what the, what the tactic was inside without it being explained. You can't defend the space under the current SOB system. You got to just let it go, save what you can, regroup, and go somewhere else. And you're not going to go somewhere else until the the fervor of the rest of the game calms down and they don't want to chase you. That was my impression um, during the whole experience. Yeah, Isn't that also a, a challenge when writing things like scientific papers, what to include and exclude when it comes to uh, the dependency or uh, the, the variables from CCP? Oh, absolutely. If they, uh, I'm if not they knocking the access, paper. Right. If they, and, and if you guys, you guys already said you didn't have access to a lot of internal viewpoints for, from the Imperium. So there's, there's really very little way you could have known that that was not a general sentiment. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you're, you're writing something like this, you're putting some of these things in to get a sense of the flavor of the debate that you're seeing in the public space and that as you, you know as you say if we don't have internal access then we don't necessarily know what's going on behind closed doors but we can see comments coming through and and if somebody says something like that you you tend to go well okay well we should take that seriously it might be a thing it might not be a thing we won't make a big deal of it we'll just put it in there as some further material that gives some more context to this discussion um i, I kind of want to ask a question as to where uh, you know, in terms of the the whole uh, whether you had internal or, or like external kind of referencing for what was going on with Imperium at that time. But like um, when you were writing up there or like, you know, drafting the paper, setting it out, um, was there uh, discussions about whether you should actually get an internal um, viewpoint of uh, Imperium at the time? Um, or was that considered like, oh, you know, if you, if you were to try and de develop something like that, or maybe even uh, advertise to uh, to get someone's internal view of that, that it may have been played as a propaganda kind of piece or played in a sense of like being able to, you know, funnel propaganda through to you in that sort of sense? Or like, how did you feel about sort of trying to balance the perspectives? I mean, I, I didn't have any worries about propaganda in that respect i suppose more it's about about the resources that we have to throw at this and the amount of time that we have to to do those kinds of activities and ultimately you're doing this in a kind of a limited space of time to hit deadlines much like anything else and and so we each took the approaches from the 
research experience and expertise and information we already had to some extent. So I was working with, as I say, a bunch of publicly available documents. Oscar was drawing on his um, ethnographic work that he'd done already and then building on that with some more contemporary material. Um, with more time, with more resources, and I think absolutely we would have gone and talked to a lot more people. Um, but this is what we were able to accomplish within the resource envelope we had, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as the research goes, I mean, I really enjoyed the paper. I mean, it was interesting seeing the different perspective, and I think that's one of the most important things to take away before you read this. Well, I am glad that you enjoyed the paper. I just wanted to say that... Um, it's actually, you know, EVE is a very uh, cautious space. So even if you're trying to enter in uh, to a group t to get information um, without an in, people usually don't take you very seriously. Or if they do, they treat you seriously as a spy. So um, there, I, granted for this particular paper, I didn't try to get internal uh, goon comms, but actually I did prior and I managed to, I guess, badly spy my way into a couple meetings, but mostly goons actually were very good about blocking uh, any research attempts. One of the things, I know we're talking specifically on the paper and some of the things related to Eve, but one of the more interesting things is the site that it comes from too, right? I mean, this is research into virtual worlds, virtual societies, right? And and how serious is that really taken in the in the area of research? To be to be perfectly honest, I'm interested in that from you too. Yeah, in academia. So I I think it depends what discipline you're in. Um, I think in um, traditional history, not very. Um, but I'm in the process at the moment of working on a book um, to specifically engage with the challenges that virtual worlds present to us as historians, because I think there's a bunch of things about the ways in which things occur in virtual worlds that we need to take much more seriously. And um, the, I mean, Eve is a great example of this, but you can see other examples in places like Second Life, um, even in things like EverQuest, where um, players are taking historical uh, material about the game, about their, um, their own experiences in games, like far more seriously than I think a lot of academics give, give credit for. Um, and particularly, I think the, the thing that's important is that we, we have a, an idea of historical writing, which is grounded in an understanding, really, of how the world worked, which sort of runs from about 1700 to about 2000. Um, so this sort of period of time when we, we built this sort of rational structure about how we um, interrogate the past, for example, how we understand the past. Um, and I'm not sure that that holds together when so much of our experience is now virtualized. Aren't you also slightly handicapped by, hmm, I don't know if, to, if this is entirely fair, but having a sample size of one, right? There's not really any of the other virtual worlds that's caught up with the seriousness or the depth of, uh, of something like Eve, right? Well, actually, I would say there's actually a lot of, um, it's a very growing field, this, this study of virtual worlds, of uh, gaming cultures, these things. It's not quite, I'd say, um, fully operational as far as you know being an academic field, but it's growing and it's mm -hmm. gaining interest. And in, you know, communications is very big on studying it now. Um, but to answer your other question, um, there's actually um, quite a lot of games that you could learn from. So uh, Second Life was used as an example for a lot of books and research. 
And also, you have to remember that these players, a lot of them jump from game to game. So there's a really good um, study that you can get from people that, uh, you know, a game is dying and they're moving to, let's say, World of Warcraft and they all move together as a particular group. How is the group going to change when game, for instance? Yeah, but I, I meant like things like other games don't really, have, well, maybe Second Life, but to be honest, uh, no other game seemed to have the historicity to actually uh, create any uh, historical uh, argument, right? There, there is no history in a World of Warcraft-like uh, scenario. And since most other games are split shards, you can't really even comment on uh, sociology or community building and stuff like that because it's naturally split, right? Uh, similarly, uh, with things like uh, finance, and uh, you can't really write a serious uh, academic article about uh, economies that are not built by the player base and dominated by uh, the developer. So that's what I meant when I said there's only really a sample size of one, as far as mm -hmm. I can tell. I, I don't know if that's actually true there. Okay, yeah, if yeah. I can jump in here, I mean, you might have a point about the economics uh, research, although I actually find that, for instance, Guild Wars 2 has a very good... Um, it's, it's the entire world. There's not a server-based economy, so you can get, get some readings out of that. But um... I was deliberately exaggerating. I, I know that you can work around it. I'm just pointing out that until we see more games try to develop into the same area of uh, EVE Online, you guys are a little bit handicapped if you want to write really serious articles about uh, games, right? I, I mean, I, just to kind of back up what Oscar's saying, I, I think there's a, you're right in, in, in essence, Caleb, right? You've got this one very, very rich environment and very rich community, um, and that's that's EVE. And it's definitely the standout example. But I think if you look at, I mean, looking at the his, historical stuff like I am, EVE provides a particular kind of historical activity or a particular kind of past, and players have a particular kind of historical engagement, and it then becomes interesting to see what kind of engagements they've got in other games. So if you look at EverQuest, there's a lot of engagement around a kind of a, what we consider sort of the space of memory, uh, memory studies or space of memory. So people talk, that there's a lot of reminiscing about EverQuest, which is, a, you know, it's quite an important process in historical work, particularly when you're thinking about public history, about if you look at local history, for example, um, writing on local history is, is very, very strongly um, associated with these kind of memory processes and this memorialization. So you sort of see different things going on. And that's what makes the whole spectrum interesting. But you're right that Eve does some very distinctive things of its own. Yeah, especially because uh, most other games that come to mind, they don't really have this meta layer of coverage and uh, article writing and basically being the historians firsthand, right? I, th there is none of that in other games, whereas if you were doing historical studies of, of EVE, you could actually go back physically to uh, forum posts and articles and stuff like that all the way back to 2003 and four, right? But you don't really have something similar in any other game. Right now, we've moved into to video uh, production when it comes to media and stuff like that, and that whole process has not really been mirrored in any other gaming uh, society or community, right? Um, I'm not sure that's really true, Caleb. Uh, there's, there's a lot of a lot of articles, and it's it's less now because it's not quite as much of a singular cultural thing. But what when when 
especially around like Burning Crusade to Lich King, WoW had a fairly active, shall we say, historical record of what's going on in the game, who's doing what, as far as notable individuals and, and what sort of thing they were doing, just in coverage of places like WoW Insider and such. So there is a level of that, but it's not the same. Yeah, I was actually going to use um, WoW as an example as well, because, uh, you know, you have the competition, for instance, a worldwide competition for who kills a boss first, right? And so you have this entire meta-narrative that is followed, and people talk about, oh, these guys, they got screwed out of the first spot last time, let's see how they do this time. That's all, you, you could argue, historical record, right? And um, I think that allows you to look at other games. And granted, WoW is a really big one, right? But... Um, you know, as long as the community wants to record things, they will. And then it's you have something that you can use. And I think that's it. It's, it's, it's the importance to the community that's the that, that's the key here, that the, the, the extent to which it matters. Um, and, you know, the, the reason that history is important is that it matters to people. And that engagement with the past and that, that focus on those those important things is, is really strong in EVE because it conditions a lot of what people do and a lot of the way that people build arguments for doing particular things you know you can see the, the the constant callbacks to things like the bob affair for example um or to some of the larger battles as sort of touchstones to to describe what's going on at the moment um and i, I wrote a piece uh, last year well it was published last year about the journalism in Eve, for example and that was again kind of part of that picture and we have this idea in history that journalism is the first draft of history and eve has journalism in a way that other games just don't really. Did you read any of my pieces? <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand mm. you, you, you and Seraph Basara weren't the best of friends. I kind of got that impression. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> it's, it is the I, overarching thing. I think he, uh, I think it was kind of uh, flirting with me to some degree. I mean, he wrote a number of pieces about me. And uh, I think he he kind of closed off with uh, trying to make a point that apparently I'm uh, an autistic, racist homophobe, which was quite interesting coming from Seraph. <laughs> coming from the man who regularly quotes Goebbels, yeah. Yeah. He's an, he's an interesting fellow, I have to say. But I, I, I did want to actually uh, quick, uh, quickly ask a question um, that was uh, uh, sent to us via, uh, from Dirk, in actual fact. Um, to Dr. Nick and Scar, actually, as well. Um, like, in your researching and in sort of obviously the, uh, you know, with relation to the uh, to the journal, is there actually a, a virtual world um, out there that kind of compares to EVE um, across all of its various dimensions and complexities? Like, have you found one that rivals or even eclipses? Well, I'll answer first then. Uh, no. Uh, some people try to. There was that uh, attempt with, uh, what was it, Britannia, something, something. Uh, but I would say that just absolutely nothing has come to the level of engagement that, that EVE has as far as developing cultures, developing economies, developing uh, territorial systems of control. All these things are, are pretty unique to the context. And, and I'd echo that. I think, I mean, EVE, Eve is particularly distinctive. Um, I think there are other worlds which have you know elements of what they do that's kind of interesting i mean if um there are there are places where for example you can see things like legal systems um emerging which 
are perhaps more developed than Eve. Uh, a Tale in the Desert, for example, did tried something which was quite interesting. Um, but e there's, there's, there's no way that pulls together as many things as Eve. And again, from a historian's viewpoint, that kind of attention to the past in Eve is just far more developed. And I think the fact that, that CCP have, have tended to support it has also been quite important, although I am really sad that True Stories site disappeared and that you know the eve wiki went away as well the eve wiki is actually largely mirrored at backstage i'll find the link for that somewhere oh brilliant that'd be great i i didn't realize that i think uh dark's question there is kind of relevant <laughs> do you think we can even call eve online an actual game anymore well that's the discussion that came around in second life right um i would argue Yes, a uh, game can be anything that requires engagement, and I definitely need engagement for uh, EVE Online, so yes. Well, and, the, and the other kind of thing is like, I mean, you know, when you, when you look at how people kind of take EVE so seriously, um, you know, with the old adage of uh, internet spaceships is serious business, you know, you also have that, uh, that, that phrase as well of, uh, you know, um, life is a game. Go play it. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, I think the thing that people take seriously. I mean, yes, okay, they take the game seriously, but they also take their social relations with other human beings seriously. And I think that's quite a lot of what goes on in in multiplayer games is is people are thinking seriously about the way they relate to others. Um, so, I, I, can you think? You know, is Eve still a game? I mean, yes, in in its kind of most limited terms, it's a game. But I think as soon as you push into some of the meta. Um, a lot of what's going on is simply people behaving as part of a community. And the fact that it is with re reference to a game is interesting, but I don't necessarily know that we have to consider those that in, in, in ludic terms. We can consider it in more social and political terms, perhaps. I would um, say that Eve is a game where you actually create your own emboss. And the stories that we actually create for ourselves within Eve far exceed those that are actually uh, produced by other games and uh, kind of spoon-fed to us. And I think that's relatively kind of like evident when you actually look at the news pieces that come from EVE um, relatively regularly with some of the stuff that we actually do. It seems to have an impact on the, uh, uh, the kind of modern media that no other game does. And it has done so consistently for uh, well over a decade. Yeah, and I, I don't think I've. I, I'm not aware of another game where so many of the players describe their process of play as creating content. Mario Maker. <laughs> so when we look at social constructs that, that occur in games and the cultures that are developed, what I think is going to be interesting over time, and probably one of the more interesting things to study from an academic perspective, is. How does the interaction in the game, the exposure that people get being in these different groups that are tremendously more diverse than they get in their normal everyday life, how does that affect culture over time? I think that's going to be insanely interesting. I don't know what you guys think about that, but, um, you know, if you need me to explain it further, I will. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's... it's uh, um... Actually, there's another journal, right? Uh, Gaming and Culture, that, for instance, looks at this particular discussion as well. 
yeah, I mean, it is it's it's it is fascinating. It's the the really distinctive thing that I think is is worth studying. You know, I mean, I want to, as a historian, I want to know what the history of today looks like from twenty years in the future, because if we think about the amount of time, for example, we spend sat at computers playing games, um, being involved in virtual activity. You know, what are historians going to write down? I mean, this is, why, this is why I think virtual worlds challenge how we deal with history, because we're not just going to you know, write that we all sat down and tapped keyboards. We're going to have to engage with the experiences that we are having and what those things mean. And, and that, that's a fundamental change in our cultural disposition towards the past. Well, it, it, it's, more, it's even more of a fundamental change than that. I mean, if you look at if, if you if you think about it in 500 years what are the archaeologists going to be able to dig up about this time um we leave no letters behind we send everything through email what, what exactly what what correspondence are they going to find absolutely and, and there's a lot of debates in the archiving space at the moment about what we should archive and what we should keep because there's a there's a point of view that we can keep everything and so we should but you know as a historian i know what it's like when you've got information overload and you just can't find anything because you've got so much stuff so there's a balance there as well between our, our kind of capacity to keep everything in a, in a format which is quite ephemeral and as you say doesn't have the the durability of paper for example or manuscripts which we've had for thousands of years um against this sort of other situation where we keep fewer things in in different formats it's, it's hard to know yeah, I think that it was estimated that up until about the year 2000, um, there had been five petabytes worth of data created by a man. And um, since then, every year we do something like about three petabytes of data every single year subsequently. So, I mean, you know, it's quite interesting, that sort of thing. And just imagine how much shit there actually is there as well does anyone like remember the harlem drop kind of like little video thing it was about 30 seconds playing some music and then kind of the drop came in and then uh, they kind of ended up like dancing in strange costumes and stuff do you remember that i don't know i'm just imagining somebody digging up like cuneiform twitter well i only mentioned like that one because at its height it was like 30 seconds long and every day on um, YouTube, 36 hours worth of these things was being uploaded every single day. It was impossible to actually just watch just that <laughs> in that single day. Not that I could it, think that anyone it, would it, want to. <laughs> and it would be really, really difficult to actually understand why, you know, all of this suddenly appeared out of nowhere without actually having some kind of... Uh, you know, some kind of media to explain it at least a little bit, you know. I think I think they're going to be archaeologists watching this show 200 years from now, and they're going to say, why the fuck is McLeod wearing that getup? I think it's what's going to happen. Who I, the hell knows? And I don't by the way, know that, was, that was for the people who said we're not swearing enough on the, uh, on the show, so there you go. <laughs> I, I think they'll accord his wig some deep religious significance. I think so. They're there, there, yeah. It, it will be some kind of weird. No, it really won't. It really will not. It'll Isn't that always the fallback for historians and archaeologists when they don't know? <laughs> like it's a ritualistic, uh, <laughs> mystical thing. It's kind of going for a pastafarian look, isn't he? I thought it. I, I thought the, I thought I thought the kind of grayness kind of almost sort of felt a bit sort of Asiany. I don't know why. 
Yeah, with that red beard, you're you're all Asian. Let me tell you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, by the way, this is this yeah, is sorry, one of those things, right? Interrupting. From I just wanted to say uh, I actually have to drop out, and I wanted to thank you guys for having us and uh, for talking about the paper. And uh, I hope you guys have the good end of the stream. Thanks, and uh, we really awesome. appreciate. Thank you very much. Hey, this time was have a good day. Good to you, bud. So when when I when I started talking about the 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 impact of of these type of social interactions uh, on our future culture, right? I mean, how many people do you know in your regular life that talk to people from other countries on a regular basis? I think it just doesn't happen, but for us, it's extremely common, right? And I think it's one of the sad things about um, region locking servers is that it it's reduced that as well in in server in shard orientated games. As speaking as somebody who was playing EverQuest from the start, um, you know we were playing on American servers um, with people from all over the world, and then playing WoW later, we weren't suddenly. Well, I think one of the things nice things about Eve is you know the the fact that um, you know being at being halfway around the world doesn't doesn't massively affect your performance in the game too much um and in that kind of sense i, I did kind of want to uh touch on some kind of uh like cultural and sort of social aspects of you know all the different organizations and groups in eve um as being kind of almost uh catalysts to break down like uh nationalist and ethnic kind of barriers as well because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of games where um you end up um socializing in groups that are kind of nearish to you almost geographically because of the fact that you can't play with people from the other side of the world because of you know the the way that the the games or the ways that you interact um you know prevent it from a performance standpoint it's similar um, to the effect that the, the modern trains yeah. uh, did to genetics, right? Suddenly people had the ability to actually marry uh, a lot far, farther from home yeah. than, uh, than they had been able to in the past. Yeah. So as, as that, uh, the internet and this gaming culture uh, is on par with some of those developments in the past. It's the same with how uh, letter writing uh, suddenly exploded when literacy exploded. So. These things are just a, a next tier in, in the human uh, development, right? It's just that it, it's so uh, extreme uh, compared to things that happened in the past. Gills get deep. But it's kind of right, yeah. It's also, getting, it's, also being, it's also being pushed a little bit more into the, uh, the mainstream kind of... Um, the media spotlight as well with, um, you know, uh, films like Ready Player One sort of coming, you know, soon to be coming onto the mainstream. Um, you know, that because the, in, in a sense, that's also dealing with virtual worlds and, you know, a mixing of, you know, multiple cultures. Absolutely. Made here in Birmingham. Where, uh, which they oh. used as a as the setting for the you know the sort of blighted future, which probably says something about where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I must it say, was oh, very, well, very well done for concealing your uh, Brummie accent as well as you have. I didn't grow up here. 
I shall resist. I shall resist. Thank God. No, I love Birmingham. It's great. I just, I just don't have a local accent. What would be a local Birmingham accent? I have no clue, right? Because you know, America. I don't, I don't know. Um, if you want, obviously, do a copy. I, I, I'm really bad at accents, but if you want a classic Birmingham accent, like go watch things Ozzy like Osborne. Um, Peaky, Peaky, like Ozzy Osbourne has a classic. Yeah, very much so. Ozzy Osbourne has the classic kind of Brummie accent, uh, Birmingham accent. That's kind of like what it is. Um, other things, if you have watched or kind of want to watch, uh, which I would recommend, uh, Peaky Blinders. Also has a, has a bunch of Birmingham accents. It, it has a bunch of people doing kind of bad Birmingham bad. accents. If, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot. There was a lot of upset in Birmingham about people not doing good <laughs> Birmingham right. accents. If, <laughs> if you consider the uh, accent from that to actually be good, then you probably really like uh, Dick Van Dyke's Cockney rendition uh, as well. <laughs> I would. They they are probably better Birmingham accents than most Americans can do Birmingham accents. If if, if the other place you can look is uh, is is if you can find it on YouTube, there's an old um, uh, soap opera called Crossroads, um, which was made in Birmingham and has a number of Brummie characters. Ah, yeah. Also, um, uh, Blazing Serpent says, uh, I think Guy Martin's from Birmingham. Was all right. He has a bit of a Birmingham accent, or is that me? I'm not thinking right. Not sure. So I'm going to give a shout out here to Esco Krivides, uh, because he did sub earlier and we didn't mention it because the conversation has been so riveting. So, uh, so yeah, I want to give a shout out to him. Thank you very much for that sub. So um, given that you're actually trying to make your studies with regards to um, the the kind of like the gaming side of things um, taken more seriously is there anything that you would like to see from the Eve community as a whole in order to actually like foster that well to be honest I think this is a is a great example of the of, of really valuable things for us as, as as academics because it makes you feel like someone is paying attention to what you write. That isn't just other academics, because yeah, I mean, we're great at talking to ourselves. That's something we're very skilled at. Um, we're less good traditionally at talking to a broader public, and of course, we all, you know, we're all publicly funded in some regard, and so we're actually, you know, we're supposed to be accountable to our public, and so we should talk to the public more. And and there is an agenda about doing this, um, certainly in UK academia. Um, you know, in, in some other places around the world as well, but it, it, it's it's actually quite closely tied now in the UK to things like uh, the development of your career and so on. It's, it's a big part of, of, of what we're supposed to do. Um, so actually, I think just, just, just the fact that you have engaged with it at all as, as a community is brilliant. Um, I think Oscar's point about whether or not people are open to being involved in research, if people are interested, if people do want to get involved, that is really helpful. Um, but I can also understand that people would fit, might feel kind of uncomfortable with it because ultimately it is opening a part of your life to scrutiny and that is difficult. Um, but yeah, so just, just really sort of taking it seriously, I think is, is great. Well, I think in the case of Eve and getting people into groups in order to do the research, I, I don't think the, the difficulty ran into there is so much people not wanting to open up that part of their lives um, as just 
we're a bunch of paranoid bastards when it comes to spies. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a there's a webcomic control delete that had a lot of fun when it was revealed that the NSA was using World of Warcraft to spy on people because the and other MMOs because they they put up this whole comparison between how you get into a guild in WoW and how you get into a corporation in Eve and at the end of it came out with the conclusion of I think we understand why the NSA wasn't spying on anyone in Eve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is that? Is that the I one mean, where, you know, we take your pulse after you've been submerged in hot butter? Yeah, it was, before, they actually yeah, put yeah. the guy through a full full interrogation just to get in. It, like yeah. any other MMOs is like, I like to shoot stuff and kill things. Oh, me too. You're yeah, in. I like to stab you know? things. We like to stab oh, yeah. things too. You can join us. Well, I think that also, <laughs> given the the platform that Eve is actually on, um, it seems to attract people that are more technically inclined because it's not a particularly easy game to you know get the uh, get into. Um, there seems to be a disproportionate amount of people in the IT sphere, and also ex-military types as well. That seems to like you know be quite prevalent, at least in the uh, the non-sec communities, not necessarily high tech. There's actually quite a, a high incidence of uh, people in the armed forces being involved in the whole range of MMOs, which is something that's definitely worth looking into. I mean, I, I realise it's it's in the context, for example, of people just being stuck on bases and not really having much access to other things to do. But it it's um, it, it is quite important, I think, because it it shows their sort of significant role in the formation of these communities. Well, I think that it is kind of it definitely. Um, shows in certain parts it's just like how people generally kind of order and conduct themselves i mean you know for the imperium as a whole i have to say that it's it services as a whole you know put many many organizations to shame just completely to shame we are the cia uh, to, be, to be fair to be fair i think in terms of uh um like military personnel like uh you know, being part of MMOs and, you know, I, I, I definitely have seen a lot of um, army personnel playing EVE Online. I, I think we kind of miss a little bit of, I think CCP's kind of missed a little bit of a uh, kind of marketing strategy there as well. Because, you know, if you're, in, if, you're, if you're on a military base playing EVE Online in your downtime, at least you're not running around your military base with a, you know, running app uh, that... Can be used to spy on where you all. Oh, you went there. Yeah, they went there. <laughs> I think we covered that on a different episode, uh, you and I, McLeod, where I pointed out that uh, CCP should really start trying to market directly to things like the military and educational uh, institutions. Yeah, I, I I don't know whether we covered it specifically, but like if people aren't aren't aware, there was a recent sort of uh, news article about. Uh, particular running apps that uh, are uncovering hidden military bases and CIA bases and stuff like that <laughs> in other countries. Because it's just Have you done any uh, guest lectures yet, Nick, about EVE? I've done some talks about EVE at conferences, um, which is just part of the sort of the, the process often of, of producing these papers. So you, you often give a conference paper and then you write it up. Um, I haven't given any more substantial, you know, not like the stuff that Andrew Grind's done, for example, he's given some quite, you know, um, large audience presentations, haven't done any of that kind of stuff um, yet. 
So we had a big pause there. I gotta ask, what the fuck's on McLeod's head? Did he take a mop apart? <laughs> we, we we haven't had that word said enough in this show. I if, don't if know. I just got here five seconds ago. Why is McLeod wearing a mop? I, I, random, I randomly wore some weird ass thing when me and Eric were doing uh, some pre like pre setup show stuff. And Eric was just like, "You should wear that for the show." And I was like, "Oh, all right, whatever." I'm glad I actually decided to get on here because I needed to see this and question the reasoning. <laughs> um, you know, I did. I did enjoy horrendous. I don't know if you're being coy or not, but I, but I think you were about a goon swarm being, you know, a CIA. Well, no, I, I, I was. I was actually referencing. Um, the whole mess with Glenn Beck where like, yep. You know, because, because <laughs> Sean, because Sean told Alex gotta go gunfire, um, on Jabber, we were suddenly the CIA. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. I remember that. And that's what I was bringing that up. Right. Is, is, is that something perhaps really that, that we may awesome. be the only one to have been accused publicly on live TV of being a CIA friend? I think so. That was some serious tinfoil hatchery right there. Oh my! And, and 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 considering, you know, Eve players are pretty good at sort of you know uh, pointing yeah. at things and saying that's quite tinfoily, and I, being I, I quite will, paranoid about give, stuff. I will give the man credit when you want tinfoil. Glenn Beck goes there. <laughs> Doctor Nick, did you know that that uh, that we had been accused by Glenn Beck of being a CIA friend? Wait, the I, I did, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm not aware of this. What? Oh, um, okay. Not to it. not to dig into not to dig into ancient history and and reopen any old wounds for anybody who might be watching. Um, but when the whole Benghazi thing went down, Vile Rat was on Jabber talking to Mittens. Oh, okay. I know what we're so, talking about now. Because we knew about it, in essence, before the State Department did. Oh, okay. I got. It. Um, yeah. So I it, completely forgot that's how that situation went down. And yeah. I apologize if that brings up some old wounds for people, I just could not mm -hmm. remember what we were discussing. I, I think it's just an interesting historical fact, just truly within Goonsworm. Well, it just it just illustrates how how connected the world really is these days. It does. Yeah, exactly. It does. So yeah, so um, so now that we have Scythe here screaming and yelling like he normally does, hey, it, fuck it, off. it feels like a real show. Hey, I tried to run over an entire mob of joggers, but the cops wouldn't let me. They blocked an entire city. Y'all don't even know. This Did isn't Scythe. This? This, is, this isn't Scythe basically sort of admitting that he wants to sort of, you know, be a terrorist. And no, no, no. This is like, Scythe this got this is just stuck in hating. the middle of a city and surrounded on all four sides by detour roadblocks. And basically, I just had to wait there for like half an hour before I could go to work this morning. I'm going to I'm gonna tell Mrs. Eric that you're mad at runners and she's okay. going to be very I actually have to take off myself now, so I will catch you guys later. It's Don't go jogging. <laughs> Take Thank care, you. Ernest. Thank you for joining us, Ernest. I really appreciate sure, you making the time. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Dirk McGurk, did you know Hillary had an Eve online in her home server? <laughs> <laughs> 
Was it, is that, is that, is that That's the, where all the emails went. Is that the Chinese server? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are we going to talk about now? I mean, I got we a new have thing. really driven into uh, this paper, which I which I think was fabulous, by the way, Doctor Nick. Um, Thank very you. Very interesting. Um, I, I would like to I would like to, to add that, like, um, as I hope that we see or at least get like a you know an inkling of other research papers and the academic kind of stuff that goes on to do with Eve, because I think I, I kind of almost sorely missed. Um, some academia going on about Eve since uh, Dr. Eno uh, kind of left CCP as uh, CCP's like uh, financial analyst, I guess, like like in like sort of uh, like virtual world financial analyst, analyst, not like their actual company analyst. I'm not biting your bait. <laughs> oh, Caleb. I, um, I do have a favor or two to ask, though, for the next paper that you actually write particularly uh, um, if you're going to use particular methods and uh, techniques in order okay. to actually kind of like uh, do this, is to actually preface is like some of the methods that you actually did because it's not necessarily evident in the paper that uh, you did this time round about the different types of um, places that you actually collected information and from what perspective you also actually try to do it so because when i read that kind of like paper given the fact that obviously i went through all of that um kind of like you know war from within the imperium as a whole and also you know with the name change and all of that sort of stuff um i, th I think that it would have helped me kind of like rationalize what you'd actually written because from my perspective, it did feel as if it, it missed the mark on more than one point, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think this comes back to that discussion we were having earlier, doesn't it, about who we spoke to or didn't speak to um, and, and how we gathered the material together. Um, I think no matter how hard we try, there will always be weaknesses in the work that we produce as academics, um, particularly in a space that's as complicated as this. Um, yeah, well, it's like you're pressed for like you know time, resources, and everything else. But I think that you know, as I say, within that kind of abstract, in that kind of like you know preface side of things, sure. if you can just like describe the methods and techniques that you actually use, because then from my perspective, when I'm actually reading it, then it gives the paper greater weight on the grounds that you know you've validated why you've taken the approach that you've like taken and therefore it like you know the rest of it will make more sense to me thereafter yeah and it's and it's a good point anyway about accessibility because you know we, we trying to make this work more accessible to more people um means including clearer explanations of what we're doing for sure so no that's a that's a good thing a, a good bit of feedback um and, and i'll i'll take that to heart for sure you're welcome and if you want to kind of like talk at any point about the inner workings of at least my mind within the imperium which shouldn't take long by all means, feel free to uh, give me a shout. Thank you. I promise I'm not a spy. I'm not a spy for anybody, not the CIA or anyone. I don't even care if you are, dear. That's exactly what a spy would say. Uh, is it? Oh, uh, I am a spy. Oh, no, hang on. Oh, see, we've caught him. Let's take him out. Way. When you've got over 35,000 players in your alliance, you got a spy or two in there somewhere, right? 
I mean, we got a NASA Mo- guy. How oh. how how hard would it be for us to actually have someone in the CIA? The, and by oh, the way, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, McLeod. I, I was just gonna say, uh, sort of, just like to uh, flesh out your point that you just made, like just a minute ago. That yeah, you know, when it comes to sort of you know the larger organizations and you. Yeah, we all operate under the assumption that there are a lot of spies around. So, yeah, and we all so, know that thirty-five thousand translate to some amount smaller individuals, right? But when you sit there in conversations and you say, "Yeah, you can kind of make fun of the gameplay," but you realize that we're an organization of about thirty-five thousand players, people go, "What?" You know, when you think that well, in terms of social are... organizations, that's pretty large for gaming, right? And, and those, and those, and actually, that site is really important in justifying the sort of validity of studies as well. Because when you talk to academics about this, and they're initially sniffy about it, and then you say, "Well, yeah, but you're talking about, you know, as you say, thirty-five thousand people, or um, three hundred and fifty thousand players, or something like that." That's the point at which they start to pay attention when yeah, they realize. Numbers yeah. Yeah, and they, and they, I think they always have with games. I mean, you know, one of the major arguments um, around games has been, for example, around GTA and the and the amount of money that's made. And you know, the, the big numbers just impress people. Yeah, GTA does have a lot of um, role play kind of stuff going on, in it, like uh, GTA Online. Or, it is um, now. Yeah, it's it, actually it, it's actually quite interesting how much the like oh we're a, we're a biker gang and we go around and do so and so or that kind yeah, of stuff is uh, actually picking up even really like sort of. Even the people going around, like, you know, role-playing as cops and, you know, sort of law yeah. enforcement and stuff, it's really kind of interesting. But it, just, sorry, just to come back to the point um, you made, McLeod, about uh, um, other academic work, um, mm-hmm. there there was a book that came out in 2016 called Internet Spaceships, A Serious Business, which was edited by the same people that edited the special issue of the journal that this article was in. Um, and that's basically a mixture of academic and non-academic writing about Eve. I mean, it's got a piece in there from Cribber, for example, and I think some from, from Mittens, but it's also got a bunch of academic chapters as well. Um, so there, there is some other stuff floating around. I should have to look at that then, definitely. So Valette We should make it we... a recurring segment. <laughs> Valette, uh Voltels uh, says there were probably four Nixes killed during this show. Uh, I would <laughs> probably say there's probably been four six four Nixes and fifteen Oracles. But you yep, know, at least thirty times. excavator mining drugs have died during the yeah. filming of this broadcast. Been booshed away. The um, and you, probably you know twice what? as many Nixes and like Oracles have just come out of build as well. Yeah, we we had eight eight super carriers come out every ten seconds. There's the there's a joke about the Scottish comedians like every time I clap my hand a child in Africa dies. Well, every time we clap our hands a super is built. There you go. A, one of the um, one of the things I would think would be interesting, and I don't know if either of you participated in this, Doctor Nick, but did you guys participate in any of the sort larger Eve meetups like Eve Sardam or Fan Fest or Eve Vegas? I think getting input from those or things from individual players would be amazing. I haven't done. Uh, it is on my list of things that I would like to do. Um, again, funding is a thing. Um, I don't know whether Oscar's, uh, Oscar might have been to something like that. Um, I'm not sure, um, but I, I certainly haven't been able to as yet. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to inject. Um, you know your name, Five. Uh, put something in chat. He said, uh, inverting the subject for a moment, as well as food for thought. If there is so much talk going on in the media, why don't you think it... Um, why don't you think it doesn't fully break into the mainstream and continues to be niche? And I don't know if you're referring that um, as Eve or you're 
referring to that as conversations about social constructs in um, online gaming. I'm not sure, so maybe he can expound on that. I get the impression that maybe he thinks in terms of like Eve being quite a niche game versus being a mainstream game. I think half of that's down to, you know, down to the understanding of the game um, and understanding everything around the game. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not to, I'm not talking in terms of like you know all the various different kind of mechanics of the game, but like, you know, people's understanding of. Um, like uh, first-person shooters is very, very easy. You know, you point somewhere, you fire a gun. The, the you know, thing that it was pointed at dies, kind of thing. When it comes Eve is to not it, casual friendly, more, and that yeah. goes for the people uh, that look at it as well, right? Most people I know will ask me about stuff in Eve, and I will tell them, and they will have a genuine interest in it, but they won't want to play it. Yeah, because me and Caleb were actually talking about this before the show about how um, Eve is one of those games where you kind of actually have to you, you have to have a, a, a degree of uh, knowledge about what's going on before you can really understand what you're seeing um, in the same way that like if you're trying to you know talk about uh, quantum physics to somebody who has no idea of what physics is you kind of have to warm them up towards it by actually kind of explaining various uh, fundamentals of physics first. So yeah. really down to CCP, right? If if they want to get a bigger segment into their game, they have to make some aspects of it more casual friendly, and they haven't. Yeah. They have to find ways to sort of, you know, uh, shortcut through. I don't know. How. I know. I know. How y'all play other games as well, and I tell my friends about Eve all the time, and they're like, "Well, how do I get into that?" I'm like, "Well, step one, make account." Skill queue about three months worth of skills, specifically these, and then read all of this Wikipedia on how the game works, and uh, then play the, three months later. It's you it's know not you know what touch it now you know you know what the issue there Scythe, is 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 the read all of this stuff yeah and that you should know, be taught in that's game the bit that and that's called a tutorial everybody. and the tutorial for you sucks. Uh, well, I'm gonna get some feedback from that on uh, from uh, Billy Buffington, our friend on how he <laughs> took the new player experience. One of the things I want to address is somebody said, you know, we're one of the most toxic uh, environments out there for gaming. I disagree. I, I wholeheartedly yeah. disagree. Nowhere There's... and in no game have I ever met my opposition in person and had drinks with them. Okay. Yeah. And, and McLeod, you'll, you'll agree with me. We have played a game that was far more toxic than this environment, right? Hey, and me. I would be. I think the argument is actually the exact opposite. It, yeah. it, it's it's the harshest uh, community when you're playing them, but it's the most friendly when you're not. It's one of those things where everyone everyone who plays to some degree is very tribalistic uh, to their own kind of group, but it's it's almost like because the the type of people who play. Are generally, you know, more mature. We're more mature when it comes to actually, you know, talking about things face to face. You know, and you know, talking even talking about the game face to face is just one of those things. Like we we may say stuff to each other in local that may seem very toxic, but that's it's it's very much 
except for one or two exceptions, which really kind of sully the name of Eve in to some degree. When it comes to out of game kind of stuff, we generally tend to be quite civil. Yeah, with the exception of maybe Sarah, I might I might pull the trap poor lever on him. But by and large, there are very few people who, you know, in Eve, it's almost like, hey, you play Eve, like you're you're a little, you're a sub clip click of gaming like it's like a secret society of eve right it's it's uh what what's the starting race you picked and if they don't know one immediately you know they're a chump <laughs> don't play with that guy he's not cool because I, I would say the first time i ever got on the airplane i sat by a bunch of my enemies in eve and we then started playing super smash brothers like on some guys like switch or whatever like it, it immediately devolved into oh yeah let's do this thing and we had a good time and it was awesome you know it was a great, great experience to meet meet your enemy in person and realize, oh, we're we're actually going to just be more entertained because we're going to insult each other like jokingly and then eat, drink beer. I think the the other thing though is that even though it has mainstream breakthrough, um, that mainstream media article always seems to come with some kind of caveat about the game being notoriously complicated, and you know that in and of itself for a lot of people is off putting, isn't it? Yeah, and I. Yeah, and I See, and I come from the perspective that Eve is a complex game. It's not a complicated game. And you guys can argue with me till you're, you're red in the face, right? I think that if Eve is played as it's supposed to be played, generally not as an individual, but as a group, the group brings up the new and trains the new and shows them the way of the ropes, very much like life does. And I think if you play the game in that manner, you're going to love the game. Yeah, and well, you know, the bit that I have a problem with there is uh, how many different ships are there, Eric? There's too many. Okay, how many different um, uh, training skills are there? There's too many. How, how many, many different how modules are there? There's too many. <laughs> but <laughs> and, and because I say that, right, that is where the community of the game gives you the distinct advantage, right? And I'll use Zarker as, a, as an example, one of the guys who's sometimes with us here and we've played H1Z1 with and other things. He played Eve, he quit. He played H1Z1, somehow he hooked up with a bunch of goons, some of them here. And then he said, hey, I'm going to play Eve because you all play Eve. And then he comes and plays Eve. He's like, holy shit, this is a different game. This is so easy to play now. And he progresses faster than me. He was in capital. He was, he was flying. He had more uh, capitals in a shorter space of time than I did over like five times like the time. He's, because Zarker's the ultimate min-maxer by nature, right? And yeah. then if you give him a few simple guidelines, right? Like goon forums and talking to people who play the game for a decade, he just excels and he loves it. And, and that's how you play Eve. And if you don't play Eve that way, then you're really, if you're not a social animal in gaming, Eve's not the game for you, in my opinion. If you're a social animal, you're gonna you're gonna be great. Well, they have always, you know, there are, there have been many people who have said that Eve is less of a game, more of a social simulator. So it absolutely is, which is which is why I find it perfect for this research paper, right, and why we're talking about mm. it too. I mean, there is there is nothing nonsense. I mean, I will tell you, McLeod, I would never have watched the returns on the British elections. If you and Matterall <laughs> hadn't invited me to a chat, I think we are even on Twitch live talking about it. I learned so much, right? And that's the interesting social aspect of this. 
Does that mean you're you're going to join us uh, watching Eurovision when it starts? No. Uh, oh my God. What are we? Some kind of communist? Yeah. No. We that will is, watch the is... Great British Bake Off with you, though. That is that is required. Hold it. There's a Great British Bake Off. Dude, it's fucking so awesome. Oh, we have to watch yeah. this on Twitch every year. It's good. See, we're making actual social plans because we have all played this stupid game called E. Now we're going to watch a baking show about British comedians we've never heard of. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would like to say, I would like to say, Dirk, like, you may think, fuck no, Eurovision, but in actual fact, it's hilarious, especially if you watch it with people who don't even understand what Eurovision is. Oh, like, trying to explain, even just trying to explain it to them, like, oh, people lose their minds yeah, with it, I, but it's I, just I, hilarious to watch. I think point. you explained Eurovision to me, McLeod, and I giggled I at so. it the entire time you were telling me what the fuck it was are you just talking like, about. This is stupid. The, the fact that there's so much politics in it as well, yeah. I was just like, it's why just is there politics in this? Whatever, it's fucking <laughs> Well, I just like the fact that you can show off stuff like Conchita Wurst and uh, Madderall would just have a, an oo face for hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when When is this yeah, Bake Off thing? I, I want to be there. we got to have a show. Didn't oh, it just loads, finish the season? There's various different seasons. Yeah, there's loads of seasons for already. Yeah, dude. It's like one every year. Or we can watch, you know, reruns of actual, you know, Japanese, like, Iron Chef or whatever. Why, why don't Why don't we just go and watch Stargate and then get back to you? I think that's on Net, it's on Amazon Prime again. <laughs> I think the last uh, thing that we kind of covered uh, as a community was when we were doing the German election, wasn't it? Uh, I. It was Brexit. To be honest, was it Brexit? I think I thought we did a huge oh, like set of shows making fun of Brexit. I think we I like. I think there was a little community thing where like we were just watching sort of the Brexit thing, maybe. But that's about it. But I don't know. I, I definitely wanted a Eurovision. That'd be fucking awesome. It'd be a fun show. I think we should have a show on the review of the Olympics opening ceremonies. Who's doing it this yeah. year? I don't even know where the Olympics is at. That's how bad oh, I South, am. South, South Korea. But more importantly. Are we going to get kicked out of uh, Eurovision? Yeah, is, are the Brits well, no, allowed no, to compete no, no. anymore? They're we, no longer Europe. We, we we don't have to pay for it, but you know. But then, but then again, Australia's in it, so you know. Yeah, Australia is right. a legitimate. legitimate like Australia is a legitimate part of. Uh, Australia is a legitimate part of uh, Europe. Is <laughs> like Eurovision your attempt at five hundred channels and nothing's on? Like no, no, no. It's it's like American Idol, but other countries, all oh. at once. It's, it's like American Idol, but state-sponsored kind of act. Yeah, yeah, it's is, like, is, this is the Olympics of American Idol. Like, that's so the only way I can say is, it. Is that where all the With all YouTube the politics videos... that come with state sponsorship. Oh, is this where all the YouTube videos of people doing pole dancing come from? Nah, uh, the, um, the, the interesting part is when you have to start explaining uh, block voting in uh, Eurovision. It's it's hilarious. But again, <laughs> in, in EVE uh, circles, it's very easy to understand. I didn't know about the block voting. All I know is there's fucking weird people on TV doing crazy shit. Oh, you get uh, an Estonian uh, song on yeah. and Lithuania. Uh, all of the Russian bloc will start voting them up. And the same when there's a Scandinavian song. It's like, it's hilarious. You see, at some point, someone did something really edgy and really kind of weird and crazy in Eurovision. And for some reason, they got a whole bunch of points from it. And so there's 
there's been this constant sort of uh, this constant thing in Eurovision where um, every so often you well not every so often pretty much every year you'd get you know a few really eccentric acts like super eccentric acts um, that just kind of make you go uh, okay. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. As opposed to the Olympics, the Olympics is always yeah. like serious politics. In the Eurovision, it's always like camp politics. Yeah, but, but then, you, but then you you say... I reckon if you were to do like political analysis on the scoring of Eurovision over the years, you would be able to work out what countries um, had good relationships other. with others. I'm sure that has been done. I, I, I would be surprised if that's not actually been done. But the other thing, the other thing that I like about the eccentric acts as well is it, it does, it does uh, give rise to uh, you know potential areas where they, you know where people break down social barriers as well. Like uh, and that's a uh, in that kind of sense, you know, that happened with like country diverse as well. That Caleb said, you know, that was an act that people weren't wasn't obviously were not expecting, you know, wasn't the norm, but. She ended up, you know, he ended up winning. So, isn't there some strange European show where two people go in a tent and have sex and they didn't know each other and then they yes, talk about I it? Saw, I saw a trailer for that. What is this, McLeod? Explain it. Uh, is that Eurovision or is that that's that, Euro, like, that is Euro Scan, or is that Scandinavian vision? I don't no, know. no, 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 no. like it's like a naked and afraid, really, but European style. That's something completely different. It's that's a, that's a Scotsman that's on a horse. Else. <laughs> a Scotsman on a horse. It's very <laughs> You know, how does that not hurt? Uh, it could be Love Island. No, it's not Love Island. It's not a Love Island. I think it's called Pitch t- Pitch in a Tent or something like that. It's got some fucking weird name. I've seen this thing. I know what you're talking about, Eric. Pitching in a tent. I haven't seen it. So, you know, it you're must not be trying hard enough. It, it must be one of those, must be one of those, like, oh, I've, I've taken a, a trip down. You know, through random YouTube videos, uh, and ended up in a place where was, I'm watching some. I know. Weird I ass to watch the, like, TV the, show the, from Europe. the like the 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 thing with Jimmy Carr, where it's like the uh, quiz of the year or whatever. What's it called? Big Fat Quiz. And it was like oh, yeah, a yeah. commercial in the middle of that. And I don't remember what it was called, but it's like some lady. She's like, it's like two people are going to go into this room and then have sex, and when they come out, we're going to talk about it with them. Well, there was something on the news and I was like, what? because they were talking about bringing that show to the oh, U.S. Jesus. like a year or two ago, and then yeah, was, exactly. Yeah, I I think very vaguely recall that when you said some new stuff about big big fact was the year. Yeah, I swear I saw that trailer. I don't know if that was like. Because I don't understand how the airing of Big Fat Quiz of the Year goes, but I thought that might have been like a joke commercial that like they put those in when they do the show because it's pretty funny. Uh, sometimes, I, I think they have done it sometimes a few times before. But either way, that's that's some that's some pretty pretty ballsy network decision. Yeah, it would be. So, um, do you chaps have any other Eve related kind of shit this week, or are you just going to talk about? Is it know, safe to mine and delve yet? <laughs> you, no, no, no. In, 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 in fact, I was going to say here we do all of it, dude. All right. It's always safe to mine in Delve. No, 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 no. There's one man who can give me his opinion on if it's safe to mine in Delve, and that's that's when I know. That would that would be total newbie, wouldn't it? That would be total newbie if y'all haven't met. 
we're, we're not a basically we're not a, pay, corporation. pay something and then go hunt scythe yeah true so yeah. uh so yeah we're pretty much exhausted everything today i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it but i'm gonna give um first i want to thank dr nick thank you for uh for joining us and uh and sharing your work with us and some of your uh thoughts on the matter we really thank you for having appreciate me. it um and of course this will be recorded on inn news um if you don't have that link I, i'll drop it in the uh chat too because it'll be available right after this show um you know and thank you caleb and scythe and everything scythe thank you for not killing any joggers my wife is uh I, she wasn't here so i know it'd be fine i know i know and uh <laughs> you know i'm gonna give uh dr nick we're gonna give you the last word but i'm gonna go around a table here and say caleb you got anything for today uh yeah i'm uh Looking forward to uh, the coverage uh, on the Meta Show today to see if that is, if something's actually happened this week. Oh, and we got a new follower, new uh, fingerprint. What do you mean something happened? It's like the MER got released, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah and it was boring. So what do you mean? It's like boring by look who won again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty much uh, another another one and another one and we've had them for what six months now so i'm mm. getting a little bit bored about the mer to be honest mers are basically now a victory lap for goons pretty yeah, much just and, like advertising like it, for our recruitment yeah and Is, you know, quite obviously we lost the casino war or world war b if you prefer <laughs> Yeah, we for are Dr. A Nick, the, of uh, our former selves. the the MER that we're talking about is the uh, we are in a cultural crisis. Oh. <laughs> just here's the deal: if everyone just assimilates to goons, we all get titans, and then we can just gate camp each other with titans. So, uh, so by the way, my Discord finally stopped working with voice, so you guys didn't hear me. Um, no. Just for Dr. Nick, the MER is the monthly economic report out of uh, out of uh, Eve. If you don't know what that is. All right, yeah, I have seen it, but I wouldn't have made the association. Oh, and it pretty much says goons win, goons win, goons win. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and McLeod, what do you got for the uh, for the end of the show? Uh, I mean, to be completely honest, I just want to do shout out to my uh, uh, initiative bros and uh, my uh, my fellow T grad corpmates. Hmm. I thought you were going to give a shout out to your hairstylist. That's pretty good. No, 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 no. This came from China. <laughs> Mr. Moomin, going to you. Uh, well, I would. Uh, I'd, li I'd like to thank my mother, my father. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, my primary school teachers. Uh, they play him out, play him out. <laughs> no, I, I really don't have a great deal to uh, kind of like add, but thank you as, uh, for like having me on and putting up with me for a little bit, really. So uh, have a nice one, chaps, and speak yeah. soon. It's always a pleasure, Moomin. Thank you for joining us. Scythe, you got anything? Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, Americans are going to do two, one or two of two of their favorite things. A, root for the Patriots, or B, root against the Patriots. You know, that's just how it works. Only 17% of America is rooting for the Patriots. I know. That, they're going to do one of their two favorite things. The Steelers could beat lose. the Patriots the way they played in that last game, and it could have been an all-Pennsylvania fucking Super Bowl, but awesome. So I'm going to say fly equals fly. Yeah, there you go. Throw that so, sports egg and egg real good. There you go. And I'm going to get a shout out to myself because, you know, I wrote an article on the MER, or as I like to call it, the Mir spacecraft. As you um, like to call it, the Goon blog. Uh, but there was one interesting thing. I actually calculated the uh, 
the year-over-year rate of inflation, and it is a little bit high. So it'll be interesting in the article. All right. So with that, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for all the follows and all the subs. We do appreciate it. We appreciate all the chatter in the chat because it really helps us... um, you know, drive the show and we do appreciate all the participation. So thank you very much. You're a great audience and we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone.